Thank you for listening to the podcast. And this week is another revisiting episode. This week's revisiting is with Bryn Mawr and the newsletter that went out on May 29th, 2021. During the McMinnville Wine Competition, I had the pleasure of meeting Karen Howard-Smith, Director of Hospitality at Bryn Mawr. We exchanged emails and scheduled a time for me to come out to the winery. Karen's husband is also a winemaker at Anamine. When I read his bio, I made a note of his favorite food. If you do any research about Bryn Mawr, there is one person who constantly comes up over and over again. It is the winemaker and vineyard manager, Rachel Rose. When I coordinated my visit to the winery, it needed to be a weekend, and Karen let me know Rachel doesn't work on the weekend. I was a little bummed, but I have to say I understood. Looking back, I wish I would have found a way to visit during a weekend. There are so many little amazing stories to glum onto. When asked why wine, Rachel's answer is because food, because nature, because science. Rachel's journey into wine started with a rabbit hole into food, which led her to wine. Going into the local wine shop, she would explore different wines to see what pairs well. Rachel decided to help in a tasting room, and when she learned the science side of wine, her inner nerd gleamed with joy. Taking a couple of online classes from UC Davis landed her in Australia to study viticulture. Rachel already studied molecular, cellular, and developmental biology before getting into wine and set her sights on getting an MS in oenology after her postgraduate degree in viticulture. At this point in her journey, the educational background was there to work anywhere in the world. She wanted to work somewhere with a cool climate and guess where she wanted to go. Burgundy, of course. There were a couple of hurdles with going to Burgundy. First, I feel there is a self-confidence issue. In multiple interviews, Rachel mentions how rigorous a process is to get a working visa in Burgundy. To say you can do a better job than those already in Burgundy felt close to impossible for her. When I meet Rachel, I want to bring up this topic and see if she still feels this way. I hope she doesn't feel that way anymore. The Texom Judging Competition released their results this week, and Bryn Mawr walked away with the gold for their shard along with three silvers for Pinot. Rachel knows what she is doing. The other hurdle for Rachel going to Burgundy was her boyfriend. Liam is a musician and didn't want to be traveling the world chasing harvest. The couple settled on the New World Burgundy, a.k.a. Oregon, where she worked at Ponzi and Pinarash. Working all the different sites for Pinarash, a love affair with Temperance Hill emerged. She was driving up to the future site of Bryn Mawr with thoughts of Temperance Hill racing through her mind like a little girl waiting for Santa on Christmas Eve. Arriving on site to meet the owners, John and Kathy, her heart sank the teeniest little bit. It wasn't Temperance Hill, but it was just across from the other side of the road. Rachel and Liam spent five years on site in a trailer, building up the vineyard. Eventually, a winery was built in 2018 and a beautiful tasting room in 2019. There are now 32 acres under vine with Pinot, Chardonnay, Riesling, and Tempranillo. The owner's youngest son, David, graduated college in 2016 and worked with Rachel over the years. At one point, he was in charge of hospitality, wine club director, and handling all the shipping for club members. In May of 2018, Karen was brought in to take over hospitality. All right, quick tangent. Here we go. It was the end of the day for the wine competition, and one of the judges immediately said, Court! 
Karen was right there. No questions asked, had the second bottle on her hand ready to open to ensure everything went off without a hitch. I might be exaggerating a bit, but at this point, the MC immediately tore open his shirt to reveal a giant S in the middle of his chest. Laser shot from his eyes to be deflected by Karen's desire to make sure everyone was happy. Clark Kent came back to being the MC once a little bit of discussion prevailed amongst the judges. I mentioned this exaggeration to display another aspect of the team at Bryn Mawr. Rachel kills it in the vineyard and winemaking, while Karen is the boo-boo kisser in the tasting room. You wouldn't believe the number of browser tabs I have open on the back history of Bryn Mawr. Along with another two hours of audio interviews I haven't got to yet. Real quick though, before I get into the tasting, this year Bryn Mawr amounts they are live certified and the levels of sustainability Rachel dives into blows my mind. In an interview with Kathleen Wilcox, Rachel goes into some of these sustainable practices. Here's a quote from the interview. During the pandemic, there were incredible delays all along the supply chain and it made me really focus on where every element of the bottle was coming from, says Rose. We had a hard time getting tin capsules, and I started thinking about what those caps are made from and where they're mined. I figured it was a third-party country. While investigating that, I found out that ours were molded in Canada, sent to France for embossing, and then shipped back to us. I started to imagine the carbon footprint we were creating by air freighting capsules. Rachel decided to eliminate the capsules entirely and replace them with a more eco-friendly, domestically produced, blended wax seal. In 2012, Rachel switched to eco-glass for half of Bryn Mawr's 6,500 case run of wines, a decision that allows the winery to ship 56 cases per truckload as opposed to the 46 cases that fit ultra-premium bottles. I started thinking about how that would reduce the number of delivery trips, which would ultimately reduce the wear and tear on the roads and tires, which would need to be replaced less and less often, says Rose. It sounds crazy and unquantifiable, but once you let your imagination go, you realize that even chipping away at some of these issues can make a big difference. As a consumer, I don't consider these practices very often. But when it's put into black and white for me, I feel a little like Homer Simpson. I adore the fact Rachel gets all geeky on everything she touches. Don't worry, I'm moving on from the backstory to the tasting. Here we go. When I walked into the tasting room, it was a semi-gloomy, rainy Saturday outside, but inside was ready to bring happiness to all. As Karen directed me to a table near the window, I took notice of the view. I can only imagine what this place looks like on a summer, sunny day. My first tasting was the 2019 Sparkling Rosé. It is comprised of 50% Pinot Noir, 28% Pinot Gris, 17% Tempranillo, and 3% of another grape that I'm not going to even try to pronounce. Going back to that sunny Friday afternoon, this would be a perfect for sitting out on the deck overlooking the valley. I found it to be light and refreshing, something totally different when it comes to bubbles. As Karen was pouring the 2020 David's Block Pinot Blanc, I asked her about her husband's favorite food in his bio. Taken a little off guard, I mentioned his bio calling out a recipe she makes called the Bacon Cheeseburger in Paradisa Pizza. Karen quickly put two and two together and said, oh, it's from a recipe book. 
she also mentioned how it was quite an undertaking to make, and she doesn't eat any of it. My questioning looked prompted an answer. Because I'm a vegetarian. Oh, got it. So here's the recipe if you're curious. And, you know, once again, there was a picture here, and you would see the picture, but look at that. This is only audio. So sorry, nope recipe for you. The David's Block Pinot fits David to a T. He used to be a blonde, but is now a redhead. All the white wines come from David's Block. The nose on this was spectacular, with the fruity green apple mid-palate. The acidity on this will help bring out those secondaries in the coming years. The 2018 Estate Riesling is a medium dry on the IRF scale. All the 2019 Rieslings went to distribution. I found this wine to fit perfectly into the medium dry category. Sipping on this in a summer day is excellent. With a bit of ethanol mid-palate and pleasant acidity, I want to revisit this in a few years. Next up was the 2017 Estate Chardonnay. I found the entry to be fabulous, sticking around on the mid-palate with great acidity and a savory finish. I enjoyed it and can see why the 2018 won a gold medal at Texom. As you can tell from the sparkling rosé, Rachel enjoys experimenting. The Innovation Series dives into the possibilities of what is possible with wine. Each label has an original artwork. The 2020 Starry Night artwork is from a four-year-old artist and Bryn Mawr's first Black Chardonnay. If you're a longtime reader, you understand my obsession with Chardonnay getting tons of oxygen. The other label in the Innovation Series is a table wine consisting of 75% Pinot Gris and 25% of yet another grape I can't pronounce. The label was created by Robert J. Lauer, age one, and is the 2020 Cosmic Sky. With 12% APV, this is the perfect little table wine and is super light purple in color. I would love to throw this into a blind tasting and listen to the reactions. When I think Tempranillo, I am reminded of hot vineyards in Rioja. Bryn Mawr is Welsh for high hill. At 750 to 800 feet in elevation, and getting the cold Van Duzer winds at night, harvest comes late in the year, and it is pretty much the opposite of a hot vineyard. In 1995, 150 vines of Tempranillo were planted, and Rachel's mentality for Tempranillo follows in the footsteps of Rioja. I didn't pronounce that right. Reserva is a Spanish term meaning the wine ages in barrel for two years and another year in bottle before release. Allowing the tannins to soften a bit produces a wine you would expect from a hot vineyard. The 2015 Tempranillo still had some gritty tannins, but the finish is something to watch out for. It reminded me of being on a roller coaster ride. It felt like the finish would taper off, and all of a sudden, it would come back over and over again. On to the Pinots. Yes, I know, I'm long-winded yet again this week. What can I say? I enjoy what I do. The 2017 Estate Pinot is everything you come to expect from an Oregon Pinot. Nice medium red, integrated tannins on a mid-palate, and a lovely spice finish. The following two Pinots are interesting to compare side-by-side. We have the 2017 Christa's Block and the 2017 Jeffrey's Block. Both blocks have the exact clones and native yeast and identical fermentation process. The only difference between the two is elevation and soil. Christa's Block is a little steeper with rockier soil. It also gets the hot afternoon sun. In comparison, Jeffrey's Block has volcanic soil with afternoon shade. You wouldn't think there would be much of a difference, but there is some subtleties. 
the bottom line, both are decadent. Both blocks were dark red, but Jeffrey's block was a bit darker. Krista felt lighter in body, where Jeffrey's was almost a medium plus body. Krista has the silky smooth finish, but Jeffrey has a lingering finish of dark fruit I thoroughly enjoy. My time with Karen was coming to a close, but what a blast it was, exploring through ten different wines. I seriously want to sit on that deck in the sun over the summer. Earlier this week, I got an email saying, Taco Tuesday is back. Bryn Mawr is staying open late on Tuesdays throughout the summer with live music and Foodology's food truck is providing dinner. I can get my head around this. Who's with me? If you decide to go without, please tell them AJ sent me. <laughs>